With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of Buzz, and yes, this is the second part of the Got Rewind seasons one to seven. And uh, I am joined once again by Scott Chandler, writer and podcaster at Anfield Index. Scott, we should kick this off straight away. Really, the last one, last hour went real fast. We didn't even know. We only really got through some, <laughs> a few things really, but there's still quite a lot to talk about. We thought we'd get that done in an hour. How crazy were we? Uh, if we thought that we were going to try and break Game of Thrones down into a few minutes, we were sorely mistaken. Sorely, sorely mistaken, mate, we were. And uh, now, though, we want to talk about more the story elements and the foreshadowing. We touched upon these things, didn't we, in um, in the first episode. But now let's go into a bit more detail, really. So do you want to kick that off? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think some of the, the biggest elements of Game of Thrones, the show, and in the books, too, is... You know, there's the foreshadowing, which kind of leads in some of the betrayals, and but it also informs the identities of the characters. And, you know, we were talking about how when we started off, like, what Game of Thrones, when it really took off, and that was the Red Wedding. But one of the great things about Game of Thrones is the layers. You start with these moments that seem like a throwaway line, but then years later, you realize, wow, they were foreshadowing this huge, momentous moment. And, you know, when talking about the Red Wedding... The seeds were laid there, even in the first season, you know, right when we first see the twins and they're debating, oh, how they're going to cross because they need to get the Stark army south to go save Ned. You know, they're talking outside the twins and Catelyn Stark is talking with some of the northern bannermen. And she says, Walder Frey would never hurt me. I'll be the one to go in. And I think it's the great John Umber who says, well, yeah, he wouldn't hurt you, but if there was profit in it, he would, essentially. And it's that scene where, you know, you it puts in your head, oh, yeah, Walter Frey has to be loyal to her because her father is Lord Tully and and Walter Frey is loyal to him. But that moment right there sets you up for a false sense of security. And there's so many moments like that. You think, oh, yeah, that couldn't happen. No, no, the, the kid couldn't get pushed out the window. They couldn't kill they couldn't kill Ned Stark. They couldn't kill Rob Stark. And yet Game of Thrones does that time and again. Yeah, that was unbelievable. And I think it's a good part to talk that. I mean, we're, we're going to get to that, aren't we? The favorite, most important gut moments later in this show. So, I mean, we'll, we'll save it. Well, well, what about your next one? What was your next one for that? Again, it's also about the Red Wedding. You know, after the Red Wedding, you see the conversation between Walter Frey and Roose Bolton. You know, how it kind of keying us on it. Well, how did this happen? How did the, we get to that shocking moment where they both turned on the Starks and killed them? And, and 
Walter Frey tells Roose Bolton that he has Tywin Lannister backing him. Well, how did that happen? Well, as we talked about in the last episode where Cersei is talking to Tywin and trying to talk to him about what he's doing for Jaime, and he's being very dismissive of her, and the whole time he's writing these letters, and the camera, if you watch it, pans right in on those letters. What What are these letters? What is so important to be focusing on that? Well, that's the groundwork for the Red Wedding. It was those letters that he sent out to Walder Frey and to Roose Bolton and to pull the strings from behind. You know, you had mentioned last time around that Cersei, you know, let other people do things for her, but now she's trying to do it herself. Tywin always lets other people yep. do it for him. Always. That's how he sacked King's Landing. And that's why the blood of um, Elia Martell isn't on his hands. It's on the mountains. Well, Rob Stark's blood isn't on Tywin's hands. It's on Walder Frey and Roose Bolton's. He didn't do anything. But Tyrion knows, and that's the great scene between Tyrion and Tywin. He's like, oh, yeah, Walder Frey would never take action unless he had certain assurances. So it's that foreshadowing as well, those letters. It's when you re- it's those things you catch re-watching it that, I th- that are make it so nuanced and so rich and rewarding. Like I think you noted on Twitter a while back about how when you watch the scene at Castle Black with Aemon Targaryen, that foreshadowed something else. Mate, that was unbelievable when he's just like, you know, they, he was talking, he'd got a raven about uh, Daenerys being in trouble on the other side. I think it was in, um, oh God, where where was she stuck? Marine. Marine, yeah, when she's stuck in Marine. And, you know, there's a bit of, um, you know, all those masked guys were, were trying to come in and, and, and causing trouble for her everywhere. So, she, um, he's actually there going, you know, it's a shame, you know, she's in trouble. It's a shame that there's no Targaryens on, on this side of the world. And then as soon as he says that, John walks in behind. Now, obviously when you're watching it, you don't, you're not going to pick it up the first time because you don't know. But once you know, uh, <laughs> I think it was season four. Was it five? It might have been four, maybe five. Um, but when you know it, because you've, you've seen up to season seven, you're rewatching it. And they do that, you think, well, how clever is this show? You know, how much foreshadowing have they put in place? Because they've pretty much made a show which, when you watch it back, is just seems beautifully made. It comes to the, your attention how beautifully made it is, how well put together it is. Whether people don't like some people's acting and all that, that's fine. You know what? That's fine. But the actual story and the writing, and the scenes, everything, the way it's put together, it's right there. One of those examples where you go, wow, that's pretty damn, that's pretty damn smart. You know, that's pretty damn smart in terms of the way they've put this together. And it continues the whole time, doesn't it? I think this happens in, like I said, from season one, when you watch season one, I said it in the first episode, when they're talking about, um, when Robert's talking about, you know, his bastard and things like that, you just, you, 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 you're just watching it going, holy shit. <laughs> you know, you're going, yeah. If no wonder, no one, that's what made it click for me. Why is John going to the, um, the, the black? Cause these type of things force Ned's hand and it all makes sense. All these things are just really well put together. The story is magnificent personally. Yeah. Everything builds on something that came before. And it's funny. These things are, when you rewatch it, I mean, it's almost like there's like sirens going off when you, when you hear certain lines like that. Like when, when Master, Master Eamon says, 
it's a terrible thing for a Targaryen to be alone in the world. And then John walks in the door and, and you can see it. You go, Oh, that's amazing because these little moments are threaded throughout the whole story. And, and that's some of the benefit of being in books is, and they knew the end, you know, the, the showrunners talked to George R. R. Martin. They knew the basic ending before they started the show. So when you know the ending, you can put those little things throughout the, along the way that when you rewatch it, you catch those things and you go, Oh, they built on this. And then this scene built on that. I mean, it's, it's a reason why people love shows like Breaking Bad. I mean, we're in this golden age of television or near the end of it, but it, it shows that know where they're going and, and, and no scene is wasted. And that's no. the big thing of Game and of Thrones. Is, be wasted. That's the, that's a sign of a great show, right? When they know where they're going. There's too many shows now that have no end. They are just creating season on season on season. And that's a problem for me. That becomes a problem when you know there's an end. It's it's brilliant because um because you've got something to build to and you can get there. But otherwise, but yeah, I mean the other one. Did you? I was I was shown this by somebody on Twitter when I was talking about it in the rewatch. I didn't mean, I didn't notice it. In I've not been zooming in on things, but somebody noticed that on the walls or um you know on the wooden areas of the the stairs or whatever the pillars. That R plus L was was carved into there on the wall at the wall. So whether it was Eamon who's carved that, but R plus L was there. Rhaegar plus Rhaegar and you know <laughs> his mother. Yeah, you know I didn't see that. I'd have to go back because that was the the big theory. I mean, you know, but it was actually on the on one of the pillars carved in in the show, which is nuts. Well, that's just, I mean, that's a true Easter egg right there, if that's in there. But yeah, it's because that, I mean, I think you see some of the meta commentary from the show. That's what's been so great about the showrunners is at times they, they're fully aware of how obsessed everybody with this show and and these theories and, and the R plus L equals J, Rihanna plus, or Rhaegar plus Liana equals John. That had been one of the main fan theories because Truth, that's the truth. That's what it was. And because if, if you were paying attention and you read the books and you watched the show, there are little moments along the way that it's like, yeah, John can't be Ned's son. That's not what Ned would have done. Well, if he's not Ned's son, but he's of Stark blood, well, then who can he be? And that's the way it led up to there. But yeah, just so many great foreshadowing moments. I mean, really, because John's parentage and his journey is the true, one of the true parts of the entire story. You know, the, one of the other big foreshadowing is you see in, in season five, right before that epic battle of Hardhome, you know, Sam tells Ollie, oh, John will be back. And you can see the look on Ollie's face and you know something as bad is going to befall John. You know he's headed for a tough ending, and which is that season ends with him dying is because you can see those little moments laid out ahead of time that, t- that really informs it. And that's what makes it mm-hmm. such a rich show, especially as as, even to rewatch. As soon as he sides with the... You know the north. You know the, the the wildlings. That was it for Ollie, wasn't it? Because his parents died. So it was all set up so so well. It made yeah. made all made sense though when it does happen. But one um, of the many betrayals of the show. Absolutely, and you know what? That's a really really good segue into betrayals, which is another you know part of the story elements. There's so many fucking betrayals. Let's go through these in season one, possibly the biggest betrayal, which comes back to haunt him in season seven. When Bran tells him, uh, chaos is a ladder, uh, is, 
Um, Such a great moment. You can just see the look on Littlefinger. The blood like ru- like leaves his face when he realizes that all the dirty things he's done in the background and all the schemes and plots and betrayals, he thought he was going to get away with it because he's too cunning. But you can see it's all his dirty laundry put before him in that moment. And, and then the that's the part you're talking about. Littlefinger. Yeah. Season one, I told you not to trust me. I mean, he's, he's imploring Ned. He's like, look, I have a plan. Take, take Joffrey. Seize him. We'll run power. And Ned is disgusted. I mean, he's really been disgusted by Littlefinger the whole time. You know, he's a, he runs a brothel. He's a, he's the master of coin. He's a, he's a dirty person. You know, he does, he's suspicious of him, you know, from when they were growing up as kids because obviously Littlefinger loves Catelyn Stark. So he'll always be suspicious, but Littlefinger was, it was it was funny because he almost was like you know I actually kind of tried to point you in the right direction but you just couldn't listen to me and it's that betrayal right there that that moment is so heartbreaking but like you said it it really had its come up later on. Yeah, he is the guy that betrays everyone. He betrays uh, Caitlin's Caitlin's sister. I keep forgetting her name as well. You know, um, Caitlin's sister Eliza. Eliza, yeah, Eliza Erin. He just does it everywhere he goes. He's so, so awful as a character. You hate him from season one onwards. There's never a time where you actually like Littlefinger. He's one of the guys from, from, from episode, you know, from season one, sorry, where you are like, when is he going to fucking get his comeuppance, that wanker? When is he now? He's not like a, a Joffrey or a Ramsey hatred, but he still is one of those that you, you're desperate to get done, you know, always. So another one, though, that everyone began to hate and pretty much like Sansa, in my opinion, got what he deserved most of the time is Theon, dude. Oh, he's the worst. And whereas I think there's some sympathy, at least I have some sympathy for Sansa, just from what she went through. I mean, Theon, there's no redemption. And, you know, he he's just this arrogant Really, he's just a douchebag from day one. <laughs> and he, he, he has this great grievance. Yes, you know, how he has become the ward of Winterfell and he was taken from his family, but he's not mistreated. He's, yes, it's different. And they, you know, from time to time they put him in his place, but he lives a very comfortable life. And yet he has this, this a grievance against the world that has been done wrong to him. And, and you know, he calls John his brother, but then is so quick to turn on him an instant because mm-hmm. he goes back to the Greyjoys and they, they belittle him. They're like, who are you? What have you ever done? Yeah. And rather than realize that, no, these are the jerks. These are the people that let me go and aren't my true family. I should go back to my true family, my true brother. He turns on him because it's about Theon. It's that selfishness. And, you know, the season three stuff when he gets mutilated. I mean, Theon is probably the parts of the show that I, I like the least because I just I don't care about his redemption. I know they try to force it on us in season seven. But I, I like that more for when John tells Theon, yeah, you can be a Stark and a Greyjoy because it's really more for John. Yeah, it means more from John. It shows how forgiving John is at that point. But I think with Theon, it's not more about, um, yeah, I think it's, he's, he's striving. He's in the shadows of Rob, isn't he? All the time at the start. And, um, he sees Rob as this big guy doing, you know, all this good stuff and he's following him and he's supporting him and all this. But then when he goes back home, he gets treated like shit, doesn't he? absolutely shit and that's where he he kind of feels like he needs to be a man and it just it just doesn't work he's not a leader 
He's not got any nous. You know, I think Ned's done good by him, but never given him everything he gave. Maybe you know Rob and even John actually. John probably got more better treat, treated better <laughs> in a way than uh, than Theon did. Or he was just too thick. Either either way, he's just he's just not all up there, is he? It's all emotion. He only he only goes by emotion. That's his biggest problem. Everything he reacts to is with his with his heart. He doesn't think. He doesn't think. He well, doesn't it's his think. own vanity. Yeah. It's his own vanity yeah. like Joffrey. I mean, Joffrey's selfishness, he's the only thing that matters. It's his arrogance. So even when he has these character flaws where he's not as great as people, you know, he think Theon clearly thinks the world of himself. And when his sister and his father put him in his place and basically like, you're nothing, you have done nothing. You're not a leader of men. He tries to, he tries to be someone he's not. And it, it leads him to suffering incredible losses. But, you know, he has that redemption esque moment when he helps save Sansa, but he's he's just always this person. You know, he he lets Yara down um when Euron, you know, surprises them in that huge ship battle in season seven. He he's just never gonna change. But no, the dude just sucks. <laughs> he's just the worst. And I, I think it'll you know it'll be interesting to see what moments he has in season eight if there is some sort of ending that ends on a high note for him. But it just it seems like he's he learned all the wrong lessons. Uh, growing up at Winterfell. Even John says, you know, I wanted to hate Rob because he was better than me at everything, but he couldn't because he loved him. He was his brother. And yeah, there was blood there as far as he knew, whereas Theon wasn't. But Theon could have stood behind uh, Rob and didn't. But yeah, just he's he's just the worst. Uh, he, he doesn't understand, you know, who his true family is. Absolutely. Never does. He's confused. He's a bit stupid as well at times. Um, but yeah, uh, apart from that, the the next bit is who would ever trust Walder fucking Frey? Oh, it's ridiculous. And I have that, you know, we'll talk about some of the plot holes in the story later. I guess we can kind of just get to this now. It kind of dovetails. I, I don't understand. I mean, they, they, they go, the show goes out of their way to tell you this is the late Walder Frey. He only shows up when he knows what's decided. He's not going to stick his neck out for anybody. And yet they think, okay, we'll promise, you know, him a marriage to Rob Stark and, and to Arya and, and, you know, we'll create this alliance and we can rely on him. And then he becomes Rob's big way out. Rob gets himself stuck in season three. You know, he's winning every battle, but he's losing the war. He's losing allies. There's no one left for him. His no, you know, his honor leads to the Karstarks leaving him. And he goes, Oh, I'll turn to Walder Frey. And it's, it's just mind boggling. This guy that they tell you, they set you up. You cannot trust this guy. Oh, because we go to his house and we dip a little bread and some salt. Oh, he totally won't kill us. I mean, it's, it reminds me of that bit from The Simpsons where McBain's partner has the boat that's the live forever. I mean, the foreshadowing of the death is crazy when you rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, you can't, you can't trust that guy at all. Um, right. This one's really interesting. Does Tyrion betray his family or vice versa? Well, yeah, I mean, you would think a guy who kills his father betrays his family or, you know, from time to time he hits Joffrey or things like that. But he's that's the part where I mentioned last episode where I felt that Tyrion's been consistent. He's always lived by a moral code. He does love his family, but his family is the one, you know, most of his family and Tywin and Cersei, they're the one who betrayed him. Cersei and Tywin deep down knew. I mean, maybe Cersei a little bit not. She was so deluded, but Tywin knew. Tyrion did not kill Joffrey. He did not poison him, but it was about getting him rid of something he's been wanting to get rid of his whole life. And it was Tywin wanting to get rid of Tyrion. And 
you know, people call, you know, he, he's a, a kinslayer and he killed Tywin. Who could ever kill their father? But this is someone who had been actively trying to get rid of Tywin for all Tyrion's life. So, and it feels like they're the ones who really betrayed him rather than Tyrion, vice versa. I totally agree with you. I totally, there's no way has Tyrion betrayed anybody. He was, he was picked on the whole time. They try and put things on him as, uh, a murderer, everything, it's always him. He is always the one that is blamed for everything. So why would he not fight back? Why would he not? I mean, the big thing was the other one, the, um, you know, Joffrey's, Joffrey's death blamed on him. And then he has to have a trial and everything. Everything is stacked against him all the time. In every way, no belief in if he says he didn't do it. Oh, you're our family. We believe you. Nope. He must be lying. He's an imp. You know, the, the, the prejudice on so many in this show is, is one of the things that, that comes across as a, as, you know, something, you know, the, like an olden day thing. It was like in the past where, you know, people wouldn't believe just because of somebody's background. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that was something they would, they would blame him for because of appearance, just a different way of doing it. So, um, I totally felt like the point where he has to kill his dad, he feels like he has to because they've pushed his buttons the whole way to do it. Sleeping with his, his, his love was the final straw. Making her, you know, go against him was the final straw for him. So there was no way, um, there was any betrayal by Tyrion in any of this show. He is the one being betrayed by everybody, his own love and, even you know his family well yeah and, and you know and jamie tells bron you know because bron makes a comment when jamie and bron are the way the door and they're in the ship and bron goes oh next time you see him you know basically say hello for me and jamie says he killed my father the next time i see him i'm going to kill him but you have to but but jamie you know so jamie treats it as a betrayal you know he tried to save him and look what you did you killed my father but that's the same father that was trying to kill Tyrion the whole time and if jamie truly loved Tyrion, he would see that and you know, not hold it against Tyrion. Plus, you know, the way they, Cersei looks at him, it's all oh, now you're on Daenerys' side. You're coming back home and you're seeking to kill and overthrow parts of your family. But those are family members that had been actively working against him the other time. I mean, and even when he was, you know, he had some moments, Tyrion had some moments of cruelty towards Cersei or his jokes and things like that in season two. They had so many great scenes together. But you still know that from deep down Tyrion will defend his family. Whereas Cersei doesn't look at him like family. She's been hated, hating him his whole life for killing their mother, you know, during birth. So it, it really is. They caused, I mean, Tywin's death is a logical conclusion of everything that Tywin and Cersei and, and the, all the terrible things that his family did to him. I t- totally agree, mate. It's, um, it, it, Tyrion is one of the, the good guys in this show for me, even if at the start he feels like he isn't. Um, Jorah, so Jorah Mormont, what a journey for this guy from double agent to, uh, Captain Friendzone. Hilarious. Hilarious. Oh yeah. He but, wants so desperately to be with Danny, but it, it, it's not happening. Nope. It's not happening. Talk to me about him and betrayals then. Well, yeah. And I think one of he, I mean, he's one of those tragic characters in, in the story because, you know, deep down he, he's one of those good guys, but he does some things wrong. And you know that no matter what he does, he's not going to get one of the things he always wanted, which is he becomes to love Danny. But he makes that epic misstep is where he's 
when the show starts, he's secretly working for Varys and he's working for Robert Baratheon because he wants to come home. Now he later finds a greater purpose in life, which is to serve Danny and to follow her, but he never trusts her enough to tell her. And then eventually his secret is revealed against him. But it's that heartbreaking moment where he tries so desperately to explain and you can see the fury on her face when they're in the Marine throne room when she's questioning him and he finally admits it. And he, he, he tries to touch her. He tries to have that moment alone and she sends him packing. And it's that sad horse ride away from the city of Marine. I mean, it's really a, a gut wrenching moment because you, even that moment, you feel bad for him, even though he was clearly the one the wrong, that he was scheming against her to some extent and never told her. But, you know, he, he, unlike some of the other betrayals, he truly had his, you know, he got some of his redemption when he you know, he saves her in the, the fighting pits and Dance of Dragons at the end of season five. And when time, you know, when he say helps save her, well, I guess he didn't have to save her from the Dothraki. She kind of did it herself. But you know, he, he redeems himself by following her, and you can see the love that she you know finds again for him. So that's one of the cool parts of the show is you have these betrayals that you know never really get cured. You know, people like Theon doesn't get redemption and doesn't deserve it, but Jorah did. Absolutely. And the scenes, you know, when he comes back, they're fantastic. And how Sam helps him is all, it's all, that redemption part is just all so good. And then they continue on, you know, into, into season seven and the big episode, um, when they go beyond the wall is just, is magnificent. But we'll get to all of those bits. Uh, Cersei then. Cersei, how do you think she betrays people? Well, it's funny, you know, talking about Jamie so much. Jamie tells, that he's one of the most noble men in the realm. He's ever been with his sister, and unlike Ned, he, he's using it to belittle Catelyn Stark. And you mentioned last episode, you know, Jamie is still a dick. It's not until he loses and he becomes truly altruistic in some ways. But that's a that's a cutting remark to you know the great Ned Stark. Well, he slept with another woman, but yet for all that honor that Jamie thinks he has, Cersei does not reciprocate. I mean, so quickly Jamie is gone, and then season two she starts sleeping with Lancel Lannister. And she's courting Euron Greyjoy in season seven. And she betrays Jamie's confidence in season seven when she schemes with Euron outside Jamie's knowledge because she starts to distrust Jamie after he met with Tyrion, you know, midway through season seven. And it, it, it shows that, you know, this, that relationship, which is one of the other anchors of the show. I mean, that's been ongoing since season one. They've lived the whole time. They've, They've had these moments of falling out, coming back together and an epic falling out where the show stands right now. But it's that that's who she is at her heart is she is. It's about her and only her. And to the extent that people come into her orbit. Yeah, she cares. She says she cares only about Jamie and the baby, but she only cares about Jamie when he's serving her ends. And and she uses that scheming to double cross, you know, the Targaryen Stark alliance, which she says, yes, I'll support the living. She doesn't care about that. She only cares about her own power and getting to be the queen and getting to be the, the big ruler. And that's why she's bringing the Golden Company from Essos. She's going to backstab him and can't wait to see how that happens. That turns out. Yeah, I mean, in a way, she's backstabbed her son as well in in this, Tommen, in a way. Um, when, you know, she destroys everyone and he commits suicide, those type of things. He's, she's done some big betrayals in the show anyway. She betrays her own husband, you know, by having him murdered. She's There's so much... In this show, in terms of how she betrays people, she's probably the biggest betrayer of of them all, in a way, uh, mate. I I think I think she's she's so so conniving, so cunning. Um, 
trying She's like to... Littlefinger in that way. She, yeah. the, it's, oh, God. it's all about her. It's about climbing the ladder, isn't it? It is. It is always wanted to be the one that is in control. You know, she wanted to be the queen, but she didn't want to be in Rob's, Robert's shadow, you know, ever. She would try and speak to him, a darling, and he'd just say, get out. You know, he'd be so rude to her. Because he didn't love her, he didn't love her, love Liana, didn't he? So he, he would, he would let her know as well. There was even one, I think, couple of good scenes with them when they were actually talking about how it never worked out between them. I thought that was good, but she, you could oh. see, you could see in her, in her um, eyes or from her the way she was that she was going to kick their ass. She was going to kick his ass, and she did. And like, really said, cool scene. That was a really, and I think that's another one of those show scenes that's not in the books and that's and that's why the showrunners are so smart is they put to get people together that weren't in the books and that's some that's a whole new scene and and these two people that are together it really adds a little bit of history and added weight and gravity to it it's it's an awesome awesome moment season one one of many exactly and yeah so i do think she's she's queen betrayer uh but will somebody actually end up betraying danny that's the big question I suppose it's a, more of a preview show, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, there's some of the groundwork play. We, we, we talked about Jorah Morma technically already betrayed Danny, and, you know, by not telling her that he was actually scheming, scheming for the crown, but it, I think that'll be one of the things we look forward is, you know, some of the prophecies, and I think this is more so in the books, you know, she'll be betrayed by once for blood, once for gold, and once for love. You know, it's it's will these people who supposedly stand by her stay with her or will someone try to take the power for themselves? I mean, it was a, people have tried to read into that moment. Do you remember on the, the ship at the end of Dragon and the Wolf in the season seven finale when when Tyrion walks outside the door and he's looking at the door and he knows that John and Danny are in there and and, it, and you try to what is on his face? Is it is it love? Is it distrust? So it'll be interesting to see who will stand by her and you know, there's the theory will. Danny and John turn on each other. I mean, I, I don't think that that's personally in the show, but again, it's Game of Thrones. There's so many fan theories. It's, you know, there's so many ways it could go. Yeah, and we'll talk about what we think of that in the season eight preview. Um, not in this one though, because there's so too much, there's too many other things to cover at the moment. Uh, so yeah, you wanted to go through some plot holes? Go on, then hit me with some. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Walder Frey and what anybody would trust him. Uh, it was just, it was just crazy to think. And then, and that trust, it seems to be one of those plot holes too. I mean, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead here, but why did anybody think that Cersei could be convinced to join their side by bringing down the white in, you know, the, the skeleton guy and bring him into King's Landing? Oh, she'll totally change her character. She'll totally change her colors. You know, she's, she's mostly about power, but she'll realize there's something, there's a greater good at large. When has she ever been about the greater good? She's never cared about the people. She laughs in the seasons when people talk about how the people hate her. She doesn't yeah, well, care about you'd, any you'd, of that. You'd hope that she'd realize that if these people, these, these things that aren't going to die are coming down in maybe their millions or hundreds of thousands, that, um, you change your mind to say, well, at least we can resume our battles later. Let's try and get rid of these things first that are looking to wipe us out. <laughs> Well, and I and I think she makes a calculated decision. I mean, she's tried to be the Tywin. She looks at it and says, all right, what is the most likely path for me to sitting on the throne? And her view is, well, even if I help them and we defeat these monsters, what's going to wind up? I'm still going to be back in the same position against somebody with two or three dragons. She doesn't know for sure, but she suspects something's gone wrong. But she's still against this overwhelming odds. So as she tells, she tells Jamie, yeah, let's, let's, 
let Daenerys Targaryen and all them, let them knock themselves out and maybe we'll help clean up. And meanwhile, we'll set ourselves because in the end, it doesn't matter if she gets killed by the, the White Walkers or she gets killed by Daenerys' alliance. If she's not on the throne, that's the only thing that matters. So she, all she's care about is how do I get from point A to point B? And that's what just, it, you know, some people call it the dumb plan. We're going to go and risk all this north of the wall. And it was an amazing scene. It's actually a really cool, like you mentioned, it's such a cool episode with all these little moments of these characters built on over the season. But, I mean, it's a really stupid plan to go, we're going to go and capture this white and we're going to bring it back and we're going to convince one of the few people in the entire show who can't be convinced to do anything, you know, that's for the greater good. So that, that's, that seems like sort of a plot hole. It seemed like asking a lot. It was, it was, it was really, really risky, wasn't it? Like, for all, what, <laughs> to risk all these important people's lives, right? Just to get this White Walker to prove to, to Cersei, who's probably not going to back it anyway. <laughs> no, and she, and she yeah. totally does it. And, and, and so, and that's why, but again, you could also make the argument that people have a tendency to, you know, they just make mistakes because, you know, that was kind of how I mentioned before in last episode. We'll see going into season seven. It was like, well, Daenerys has three dragons. She's got all these houses and it's basically against, against Cersei. How is Cersei going to even make a fight of this? And I thought they did a good job in season seven. It's like, yeah, you can see they had Tyrion. Tyrion's not as smart as he thinks he is either. And so you have these people who make what they think are good decisions, but it ends up being really stupid. And, you know, if you're trying to be as charitable, I guess you could say the same thing about the plan to go north of the wall and do that you know they, they felt like anybody any reasonable person would take this view like when they saw what they're up against okay there are things more important we have to fight the dead we have to join together as the living but that's also what john tried to do with the with the wildlings and the night's watch and you just got to understand some people cannot be convinced absolutely some people cannot but they they had to put that trust in otherwise what's the, there's no hope at all is there but okay, yeah, I think you've made some convincing, uh, convincing, um, thingies there. I, I, I haven't got any arguments to go against you in these ones. I have in the previous ones. But, um, anything else? No, I just, I think the last plot hole and, and I think you had mentioned, I think I saw on Twitter, maybe it was, it was Rory on Twitter. We were talking about season five. It had some, some tough moments in it. And for me, season five, I mean, it's still Game of Thrones, right? Even bad Game of Thrones is good television and one of my favorite things to watch maybe ever. But it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you rewatch it when, you know, Finger wants Sansa. It's clear. This is what he's been building up to. He, he, he wants her to be with him and he wants to sit on the throne and he's trying to amass his money. Why does he give her over to the Boltons? I mean, when you, you hear him talking to her in the Crypts of Winterfell, it's like, well, you'll be here. Stannis will come. He'll win and then he'll make you the Warden S. You could have probably just gone to Stannis and worked something out. You didn't have to give the per- this this woman that you've apparently schemed so much. You've saved her from King's Landing. You've killed the king and helped rescue her. You've been plotting yes, and scheming. You've but, done all that, and you're going to hand her over to a psychopath? But he did not know that he was a psychopath at that point. Nobody did. Okay? We do because we're watching the show. They don't know everything. But, but this is where this is where the viewer knows way more than the people in the show obviously right is in take yourself out of it put yourself in the person's position he's not a warg he's not going to know you know he's not going to know what is going on over there how is he supposed to know he's not heard of this guy it's the first time he's ever met him there's no reputation there so from his point of view he thinks oh bolton seems like a decent chap and it must be a decent you know he's a bastard child but 
he seemed to have given his name to him. He must be worthy of the name. So from his point of view, he's trusting. But what he's doing is if he goes to Stannis straight away, then what happens is he is 100% against Cersei. 100% against Cersei. Now, if he doesn't want to do that, he doesn't want to do that because he's not sure Stannis will win, will go that far to win, yeah? As in, he'll get, he'll actually end up winning. What he's doing is he's hedging his bets where he's saying, I'll stay in the good books, yeah, with, with, um, with everybody. Because, you know, he's still, he, I don't think Cersei knows he's involved with the, with what's her name, with uh, Sansa. So all he can do is goes and does this, gets her married off to the Bolton, and then he's back and Cersei's like asking him to come back, isn't she? So he's off to go and see her and, and pledge to her again. And so what he's doing is he's playing the game. He is the greatest game player, isn't he? At the end of the day, he knows what he's doing. He knows who he's talking to and what he's, what plan he's got. But I think giving it, giving her straight to Stannis would make him an outsider for Cersei immediately. And that means that if Stannis lost, he's not in position. He's not in any position. Whereas this way he remains in position and he can go to still go to Stannis whenever he wants. And also if Stannis does win that battle, and then end up winning the war. Sans is on his side, and she may become wardeness, so he will have another pardon and another way of getting in at that point. So, yeah, from my point of view, I think he was okay. I think that was okay. I think that was fine. There was there's enough games there going on. For it me. just seems tough. He, how would he you know are, that he's a psychopath? How you well, tell me? Yeah, I I think my argument there would be. Yes, you're right. The viewer knows. We know because yeah. we we're the omniscient viewer. We see all the narratives. But he may not totally know, but he knows who the Boltons are. These are the people who turned against the Starks. Their house sigil is a flayed man. They literally skin the living. They skin people. These are terrible, terrible people. For as bad as the Lannisters are, the Boltons are the true, probably even truer evil because they it, it's even more adherence to cruelty and brutality. Absolutely. I mean, they truly live by fear he doesn't expect them to skin their own wife or daughter-in-law you know i just well okay even this (laughs) you want to be with somebody you're going to give them to another man you want to be with them that she's going to marry somebody else that's it seems tenuous it really it seems like he was trying to he's never going to get a mate i think he knows that (laughs) he knows he's never getting her you know it's just one of them things so, uh, it, that's the, that one I, I didn't think worked for me, and especially just because of you know just how you know the scenes with uh, Sansa and Ramsay were just were just tough, and you know some of that is the brutality of the show, but you know sometimes you don't have to revel in it sometimes too. I think other shows like oh no, we don't well, want to cover that too much. It was yeah, a disgusting what, part of it, and I think there was a lot of complaints about rape scenes and stuff like that on television. You don't want to, you want to, but there's there's always a purpose. The purpose is that they really wanted to put across how nasty this guy was you know and it does come across you hate him you hate him with a passion you know in in the in the at the characters that you want to die you know after joffrey you know ramsey's maybe you want him to die more you know by by that time when he gets to it and uh that's that's doing something that's saying something when it comes to people you want to die in this show because <laughs> joffrey was a bastard ah uh, joffrey was such a great but you know, oh, even when you villain, rewatch yeah. it, yeah. when you rewatch it, you're like, Joffrey was fun to hate. It's like having such a good actor, know, like wasn't a, he? The kid, he was fantastic, and he was he was terrific. But he and he was just so loathsome. But 
it's different for Ramsey because of the brutality and the cruelty. Whereas you look at Joffrey, you're like, ah, you're just such a, just such a shit, you know, and, and just everybody just calls him what he is. He's just terrible. But he was, when you, when you watch the show, you forget sometimes just how bad he was in those first three seasons. Like, oh, I hated that guy. But then when he's gone, you're like, oh, I kind of miss hating him. Yeah. Whereas Ramsey, you just want to get off the show as quickly as possible. And when Sansa gets her revenge with the, with the dogs at the end of the battle, the bastards, oh, what a great moment brilliant moment and uh let's move on shall we there's some good plot holes there try to i tried to fill one in for you but i don't think you're having much of it um no i like it it's it, you make you make some good points it's just i just would have done some things differently but hey i i don't know how to play the game like little finger but i still have my i still have my my throat in my life so i guess i can count that. <laughs> exactly talk to me a little bit about identity then um you know basically in terms of children living up to the expectations of their family and their parents. There's a lot of that in Game of Thrones, a lot of heritage as well. You know, people wanting to, to do what their house or live up to their house, shall we say, name. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's one of the great things about the story is, is the world building. And, you know, we see these houses and, you know, it, it starts off, oh, this is just like other shows with royalty and things like that. Maybe that's what this is, but it's really not. You see how these, these characters really become part of their house. I mean, it's so important for the Stark children, you know, to follow the teachings of Ned and, and, but you also see that with the models of the other families. What is the model of Tully? Family duty honor. And it's also important so much to the Lannisters. I mean, that starts out how we meet Tywin in that tent in season one before, you know, when he's meeting up with Jamie. That's the first time we see this mighty Tywin. We've heard about him off screen, but we haven't seen him. And he's, literally skinning the stag and what is a great moment of symbolism the lion skinning the stag that sigil of house baratheon but he tells jamie this is about legacy it's about what you leave behind when you're in the ground and that 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 identity to the lannisters and to tywin it is all about the house it is about legacy you know when tywin was young his father was was sending the house down a bad path you know they weren't strong he was wasting money and then when his father died, Tywin's like, now I'm in charge. And he became the most feared man in the realm. You know, he literally ended House Rain by pouring water down their castle and drowning and killing everybody. That's the reigns of Castamere. And it's that identity. And that's what is so great is about Game of Thrones is you have these battle scenes. You have these typical fantasy action sci-fi. But you have those moments sitting in rooms with the dialogue. And in season three, especially when he's talking to to Cersei and when he's talking to Tyrion and then you get that in season four with Jamie. It's that identity and, you know, what it means to be a Lannister and what he's leaving behind. And, and, and that sets up, you know, this great point throughout the show is are we our parents or can we be something different? I mean, what did you like about the Lannisters and, and, and what Tyrion did over the, some of those seasons? And Ty, Tywin. Tywin. Oh, just, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's the biggest game player, the richest game player as well doesn't doesn't he's not afraid to use his money either um but then that kind of that's why his kids are the way they are i think they're spoiled like cersei is a she's a she's she is like sansa like you know how people say sansa's turning into cersei but cersei seems like she's come from something that 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 has come from that kind of I don't know, graft, you know, she's gone up in that, in, followed that same trajectory, what Sansa has. Obviously not as, not as, um, a horrible life. She's had a good life, but in terms of she was this spoiled kid that had everything and wanted everything and then thought she was getting everything by becoming queen. 
realized shit, you know? So I think in terms of, and then they all want to be their dad, don't they? They're all trying to be, I mean, apart from Tyrion, who all he wants to do is be accepted. That's all his problem. He doesn't care about actually becoming anything in the Lannister family, but he just wants to be accepted by them. Uh, I think his brother does, but by his dad, who just kind of throws him away. Well, do you remember that moment where he says a couple of times, I mean, uh, Tyrion says, I think to Varys, and then that's also the reason why he tells, uh, why he says he can't leave King's Landing to go to, to leave. And she, you know, he, he, he can't leave King's Landing because he likes it. He likes the game. He likes playing the power. And that's who Tywin is. He likes the game. And that's who Cersei is too. Yeah, yeah. So he is becoming, he is definitely like him once he becomes the hand. That's where we maybe didn't mention in the last show. That's where Tyrion's kind of change comes a little bit. So, um, you know, when he starts to realize that he can do things, he has value. Because I don't think he ever sees himself as valuable ever in the show. He's just there to drink and shag. And that is it. Whereas the other two... Not a bad life. Not a bad oh, life. Obviously, living off, off your parents' money. That's what he's doing. <laughs> but Jamie always felt like he had something to offer and also has gone on to become something special, you know, with 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 a lot of you know, gravitas around him, you know, and then Cersei obviously wanted to become queen, but they all want to be like their dad. They all want to be accepted by their dad. Jamie has that as well at times. And there's always a battle with his dad where his dad's like, I want you to go back and, you know, Castle Rock. I want you to go and go and lead. I want you to be the king there or not, like, you know, at least be the guy that's running it. And why are you here? Still here? And he had his doubts because he's he's there to shag his sister, you know? I know that's what's funny. It's because Tywin looks at his three children. He sees the great warrior. He sees the woman. And then he sees the dwarf. And he goes, well, obviously, my true heir must be Jamie. You know, he's mm. handsome. He's a skill, one of the greatest warriors in the land. And yet... He won't take he, it? No, he won't because he actually wants it the least. He only cares about his sister. He loves his brother, but he just wants to be this famed warrior and he wants to be with his sister. That's it. Whereas Cersei wants to have the and crown. His kids. Kids. Let's not yeah. forget. And his kids. Oh, yes. You defend his kids. That's true. And, you know, in Tyrion, like I said, Shay wanted him to go to Pentos. Shay wanted him to leave King's Landing. These people don't care about you. They, after you got hurt at the Battle of Blackwater, they've spit on you. They've done nothing for you. But he, you know, and he says, I love the game. And even Varys tells him in that wagon when they're on the way from Pentos to go to Marine in season five before Tyrion gets captured by Jorah. Varys tells him, you were pretty good at this. And that's kind of the part which rescues Tyrion from his, you know, the pit of despair. You know, he's killed his father. He's left everything he knows. But Varys reminds him, it's like, you're good at this. You could play a part in the wars to come. You could be a true leader. You could make a difference in the world. And, and so they each, each of those Lannister children have that part of Tywin, some of them to different varying degrees. But yeah, it, it, that's the part where that identity and, and it's not too dissimilar from the Starks, whereas everybody looks to the father, right? Everybody looks to Ned as this, you know, North Star, this, this thing to example yourself by. But there's some things that you don't want to model yourself by after Ned, because that's how Ned got killed. Yeah. And talking of Ned, you know, that, that's again, his kids. Um, can they, can they adapt to what he was and how honorable he was? And I think the only one that really, ends up being like that is his nephew john you know and, and not his not his kids because even rob 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 was nothing like his dad in my in my view 
he went against his word with Walder Frey, you know, and that's what got him killed. And those type of things, I don't think he was as honourable, was he, in the end, when you look at it like that? He wasn't, and, and when you lose that honour, you lose your life in a kind of way, in a Game of Thrones, in a Game of Thrones kind of way. Um, Arya, I suppose, yeah, she's adapting massively, and so is Sansa. They're both adapting massively, but they're not. Again, they're, are they living up to their dad? No. But I don't, no. I don't think so. I don't think they, I think they've had to go into avenge, into, uh, uh, you know, like an avenger type mode where they are avenging something rather than being honorable. And I think if there's anyone who's avenging anything honorably, it's probably John again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, John sort of takes some of the best elements and Rob did, you know, Rob stood, both Rob and John stood by. If you swing the sword, if you pass the sentence, you have to swing the sword and they both, you know, felt that there was times they had to carry out the sentence for different reasons. But you're right. The biggest thing that leads to Rob's downfall is Ned pledged himself to Catelyn Stark and stayed loyal. That's why it was always mysterious. Well, how could Ned leave? How could Ned father a bastard? That's not Ned. But Rob, even though he didn't do it for nefarious reasons, he broke his word, right? He, he fell in love and he said, no, the right thing to do is to be with somebody I love. But that's not the way this world works. I mean, look at Roose Bolton. Walter Frey gives him a choice of wives and he picks the fattest wife because Walter Frey says he'll give his weight in silver and he forges an alliance through marriage. That's what should have happened. But Rob caused his own downfall. But it's also the problem with Ned is he was also so inflexible. And, you know, people tell him, you know, you have to be able to do some dirty things. You get get down in the mud. And Sansa's learned from that because look who she's learned from. She learned from Cersei in season two. In somewhat season three, and she learned from Littlefinger. She knows how to get her hands dirty, and and Arya is such a different element. I mean, she she's fully ensconced in the brutality of the world. But I mean, even in season seven, look at John. Everyone's telling him to lie, lie to Cersei. Don't say that you pledge yourself to Daenerys. Do it. Say what needs to be said in order to do get what needs to be done right here, right now. And he can't do it. But you know that's the reason we love him for it. But it's also kind of what got him killed. Is sometimes you know. John got him killed too, is following, you know, this honorable code, you know, sometimes can lead you down the wrong path. But it's a give and a take because there's a time to do it and time to not do it. Yeah, and with John, there's something special about him, which is why he's got this path that he's on. But in terms of, yeah, the Starks, I don't know. I don't, I don't think any of them are living up in into that way. I mean, obviously, Bran's got a whole other story going on in, with, the, with the Raven stuff and, you know, just... That's just mental. Um, and Paul Rickon, well, just—he's barely a character. He's—he's he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, just in and out and then dead. Uh, so that—that's him done. But um, let's move to Danny then, dude. What do you think of uh, Danny, uh, Mad Queen, or Breaker of the Chains and Rightful Ruler? Yeah, you and I had a good discussion in the last episode about you know is there that Mad Queen element? And you know, for the most part, she's pretty heroic. I mean, she seems like she's truly fighting for justice and to change the the evils in the world. But, you know, there is those cool scenes in, in season seven when Varys is like, you've got to find a way to rein her in and tells us the Tyrion and Tyrion's like, well, I can't control her because how do we, how do we use the best elements, but with, but also stay away from what happened before. And maybe some of that is just the, you know, trying to get away from the mantle of the mad King who wanted to kill and burn everybody. I mean, that's not Daenerys. It probably isn't but it's a house of fire and blood. That's what the Targaryen dynasty was built on. They were literally built on what was their claim to the, to Westeros. Why did they get to rule all seven kingdoms? It's because we got three dragons and you don't. 
So that's the the push and the pull. Can 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 they rein in possibly some of the worst impulses that when people aren't cooperating, I got to burn them all down. But at the same time, Danny finally has said, "Fine, I'm doing this myself," and that's when we get that great field of fire type moment, the the loot train attack, which was simply stunning. Brilliant scene. Just loved it. And uh, one of my favorite scenes. So season season seven brought so many good scenes, though, didn't it? That's why I said the pacing just moves on, doesn't it, uh, uh, to another level. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, it does. And, I think, yeah. and we see some of Daenerys, too. Yeah, we do. Okay, next yeah, one. It's, next one, dude. Theon. Uh, we're talking about, we talked about before. Yeah, Theon's the next one. Um, and it kind of bleeds into John. It's just this, this thought about they have that conversation in season seven. It's who are you? Are you a Stark or a Greyjoy? And now we have, you know, because we, the viewer, and now some of the other characters are knowing who John truly is. It's, is he a Stark or a Targaryen? And it, it's what choices do you make and, and, and what are the best parts of those houses or the worst parts of those houses do you take with you? Kind of like Danny. Is she going to be the fire and blood, the mad queen, or is she going to be this heroic leader who makes the world a better place? Theon has that choice, and he decides he's a Greyjoy. Despite being really, in all intents and purposes, raised by Ned Stark, he completely turns away from the best elements of Ned Stark, and that's an ultimate betrayal, and that causes him to just to suffer so many uh, unfortunate situations. Very deserved. No one feels bad for him, but that's that's the choice that he makes. And then, But John tries to tell him, well, you don't have to pick. You can be both. You can be proud of who you are and the good elements – I don't know what good elements of the Greyjoy is. They, for the most part, are pretty terrible. But, yeah. you know, you can be a Stark. And that'll be the choice for John. Who is he? Is he Jon Snow or is he Aegon Targaryen? I yeah, mean, I didn't pick that up. That's a, great, that's a great shout. You know, you can, be, you can be a Stark and you can be a Greyjoy. It's fine. And that's, that, that's what he needs to realize himself when he finds out, which he will, at the start of this season, that he can be a Stark and he can be a Targaryen as well. And he's going to find out that he's legitimately both and not a bastard in either way. And that's going to be, you know, that's that's going to be beautiful for him. That's going to be actually a very beautiful moment that the whole of this season where he's found that he's been persecuted or whatever, you know, looked down upon for being this bastard. He's never been a bastard. And I thought never. the way the wording came out as well from Bran, he never was a bastard. He's the the true heir to the Iron Throne. I mean, just wonderfully done in the final episode, in the final moments, or just before the final. I thought, honestly, wow. And that'll be, you know, a great question to come forward. Is John is one of the amazing things about John is when you when you grow up, and you know he is a bastard. He's seen as lower in the eyes of the world. He's not on the highest rungs of the land of the ladder. So you grow up in a more humble way, even though he was raised at the castle Winterfell and he was raised to be highborn, he still almost in essence knows what it means to be lowborn. So he has this humble nature that people like Cersei do not have. It's just cruelty. It's viciousness. It's all about power. But John is a reluctant leader. He didn't want to be king in the north. He didn't really want to be lord commander, but he took up those moments. And so it'll be interesting to see, will he do the same with the, the Iron Throne, because he, he, he has pledged himself to Daenerys. He has bent the knee. People didn't want him to, but he, he, he wants to follow her. But his claim is arguably even better. I mean, he is the male Targaryen heir, which in this world supersedes. So how will he balance that? Will he put himself above her? Or exactly. he'll probably do the John thing 
That's true. Save it's it. True. Save it for the next please. show. Yeah, please. <laughs> so I think I think we've done we've covered John and Theon there perfectly. I think um, you know Theon has his own issues. He's never going to be a Greyjoy, uh, never be accepted one really. He's ended up following his sister, which is no no uh, no problem per se. But he's had to give that up himself because he just isn't a man anymore in in his own eyes. I think more than anything. Um, and then as a Stark, he's 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 betrayed them. And uh, we, we when we talked betrayals, we we didn't really talk about. Uh, oh yes, we did. We thought we talked about the being a, a twat and betraying everybody so much. But um, yeah, so let's let's move on from the identity stuff and move to what could be the the, the most fun part. And uh, we're we're wrapping up really here. But we have to we we have to stop at some point, right? We or do, we can do this we forever. Do. The favorite. <laughs> So let's go one each, yeah. Favorite, most important got moments. So uh, we should have talked about a lot of these anyway, but go with your top one, mate. What's your favorite number one? All right, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do top moment, and then I'm going to do probably my favorite moment. So I think the top moment I think really is, I know we didn't get the full reveal of John's parentage, but I think when you get that moment in – Winds of Winter, which is probably the best episode, I would say. It's the season six finale. I mean, there's so much to it. You have the explosion at the beginning. You have the reveal. But it's that reveal of John's parentage, all the little moments that have been building up, especially in season six. And when you see the baby's face at the Tower of Joy with Lyanna Stark and Ned Stark, and then they cut to John's face when he's at Winterfell, where he becomes the king in the north, and you see they show the eyes. I think that's the most poignant moment of the whole show or the whole series, because in the end, I think it's going to be John is the song of ice and fire. He, this whole show, while it's about so many people, it is so much about him. And it's oh that moment when you, when you show the reveal and it's like, yes, that theory has been confirmed. And that's what this show is about. It's about, you know, that cycle of the Stark family and the Targaryen family, that moment right there, that, that reveal was just uh, simply awesome. So that that I think is the most important. But I'll let you go your most important, then I'll do my favorite moment. Oh well, I thought that was also the 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 most important. Um, oh, what else was the most important? Okay, one of the most important scenes, importance wise, in terms of what's going to happen, is them finding out about Dragonglass. So. I think I think just knowing that they can kill Sam Sam killing that White Walker is really really important and obviously um, John finding out at Hardhome also when he kills with Valerian Steel um, killing the White Walker I think that is that is so important for him I think he realizes we can win because that then drives the whole Let's go and get Dragonglass from Danny, you know? Um, well, yeah, and you have all those uh, Valerian steel swords and daggers. They're all making their way to Winterfell, aren't they? Yeah, That's... Ex- exactly. So I think that was a very, very important part of the of the show for me, just for what's coming up in this big battle now. Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. And I, and I think you and I kind of mentioned this maybe last episode, but for me, I think my favorite part of the whole show 
was Hardhome. That half yeah. an hour from when John gets on the boat and he's approaching Hardhome. And it's important for the reason you just said. It, it, it It's such a huge reveal. It's not just dragon glass. It's Valerian steel. It has to be something with dragon fire. It has to be something with that. But every scene, both the, the, the conversation in the hut at the beginning, the way the music works when you start to see the snows fall, the way that they're on the beach, and then just that battle. I mean, we've had some great battles. Our Watchers on the Wall was excellent, the Battle of Castle Black. I mean, they even put that in IMAX screens in the U.S. I went to a movie theater and watched that in a huge screen. It was incredible. But even that, in Battle of the Bastards, all these other great battle scenes, Hard Home just stands out like the best. It's the best cinematography. You have the snow falling. You have this... And, this fear and this buildup in the intensity it, it's just it's it's breathtaking i mean when they do that final scene when john leaves hard home on the boat and they survive but all the other people who had fallen have been risen and there's no sound i i almost felt like i wasn't breathing i had to remember to breathe again it was simply stunning i think i'm gonna go with a bit more of a depressing one as being my favorite i think oh, no! um, i think um i think when viserion dies the the dragon dies is possibly one of my favorite scenes because she didn't expect she just didn't expect to be the de- you know defeatable she you know she was she thought she was there was no way one of her dragons is going to die here that's why she bought all of them and i think the music the it felt very asian movie type really at times <laughs> bollywoody but just the way the music changed and the face and the pain and the the fear and you you finally know that there's this higher power that is just going to kick your ass if you step out of line if you're not ready if you're overconfident and i think it drives home in season 7 that we're in big shit for season 8 you know like real big shit if we want to win this we're going to have to do something special and we're going to have to be clever. And, and or, or we're going to have to think about it because I think it just was a shock. I just, I, I mean, I was, obviously the the other shocking scenes like Ned losing his head and <laughs> um, the, the, the Red Wedding and then Joffrey dying. All these are really, really amazing moments that, that can be your favorite as well. But I think for a show to be successful... You've got to sh- you've got to be able to shock um, the viewer whilst progressing the story well enough without it being too much of a hindrance. And I think every single time they nail it, they nail it. But that I did not expect, and I don't think anybody expected a dragon to die. So, oh yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. Well, I mean, granted, I mean, I also didn't know that the Night King is an Olympic gold medal javelist. Um, <laughs> so they just he's got a great arm. I mean, he's that got was, fucking that was... awesome, awesome arm, man. And then, yeah, like I we, said in the earlier episode, when John goes up to him and says, right, I'm going to come and kick your ass now and starts driving through these fucking, uh, you know, dri- driving through everybody, all the, um, oh God, what are they called? Not white walkers. Just the whites. norm. The whites. Yeah, just, it, just starts charging through the whites. And then he sees that he's got another one. And then he turns around and goes, no, go back. Don't do it. And, uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, the fear, you could see the fear. And you have to have that in a show. You have to be fearing of the villain, you know. Otherwise, why are you? What? There's no interest, is there, in the show? They, ha- you have to be threatened for a good oh, versus absolutely. bad. 
you've got to be threatened. And I think there's enough, there's a lot of threat now. And that's the beauty. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it'll be interesting. We'll talk about maybe how the show, we're going to talk later how the show is going to end. But, you know, you have this, the Night King is the, the true villain, but mm. you've never heard him talk. You've no, we don't know their motivation. So how does the show build up that villain without the dialogue? Well, you have these moments of sheer terror. You have the moments of hard home where they just, mm. you know, suppress you and overwhelm you, but you also have beyond the wall and you have that moment where these dragons, Danny is invincible. Yeah, she's lost some battles, but she has dragons. And in one moment, you see the true power of this guy. It's not just to raise things from that. He literally takes out one of the strongest things on the planet and he takes out the dragon. And but let me ask you this. When, Viserion goes down. Did you know that he was going to be risen up? Were you like, oh yeah, now nope. I know where this is going? Or nope. were you just in the moment you nope. couldn't think? In the moment I did it. And then when they did it at the end, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, obviously. How did I not think that? <laughs> how did I not think that was going to happen? That so obviously was going to happen. Um, but yeah, when he dies, you're so caught up in the moment that you don't think. You just don't think. But then as soon as that happened, as soon as you see him being dragged out, you're like, yeah, we're fucked. Oh shit. I knew it. I was, I was like, oh man, because you're like, oh, what are they gonna, because it's just like something that dies can be brought back and you're like, well, how, where does this go for the Night King, you know? And, and he, he makes that choice and takes him down. I had some suspicions, but yeah, it's just, I mean, that's another one of those breathtaking moments. You're like, you're just caught in the moment, you know, like right before that when it seems like all is lost and Danny comes in with the dragons and you see these huge plumes of fire and you just, that's what's so fun about Game of Thrones is, you know, when you rewatch it, you can take a couple moments to think about it and really think, you know, what, oh, I should have seen this or that. But when you're watching it, you're just in the moment. You're just thinking about that because it's so intense. But yeah, that was wild. I, but I was like, oh, please don't bring this dragon back. And then when the eyes popped open blue, what a, one of the great, another great scene. Yeah, one of many. I'm going to go with one of my other next favorite um, moments. I want to talk about the mountain and the viper. I thought, I thought that was just an unreal, um, you know, battle. I just thought that was so good. It just, it's just one of those, again, shocking moments where you expect that's it. He's won now, you know, you just think that's it. It's over. And then his death is so fucking brutal. So fucking brutal that then your heart sinks as well. Cause you're like, fuck, Tyrion's fucked. Well, it's another moment where you're like, all right, finally, the good guy wins. No, he doesn't. I mean, were you yelling at the whole time, the TV? Kill him. Just kill him. Like, cause he's walking around him. He's like, he's like, he's trying to interrogate him. He wants so desperately the mountain to admit that it was really Tywin. But at the whole time, you're just like, just shoot him. It's kind of like that scene from Austin Powers where he's, where his son is telling, he's like, no, we'll just go shoot him. And they're like, no, no, it's going to be this over elaborate death. No, just shoot him. Were you yelling at the TV like that or just being like, what are you doing? Absolutely, mate. It was just like, just fucking finish him, man. Stop talking. It's like one of those horror films where you're just, you're just telling the person not to do something. Like, don't go down there, mate. Just don't go there. It's yeah, gonna, don't go upstairs. Don't you go know upstairs. something was going to happen. And I mean, oh, it ended so badly. Like it did for pretty much so many people. It ended the wrong way. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, when you rewatch it, you, when the mountain punches the viper, you can hear his, the viper's teeth rattle across the floor. It's, cr- I mean, just the little things like that. Absolutely. Every time they have a scene like that, every little detail, visually, sound quality, I mean, like the little things, like when you go back and rewatch the purple wedding and you want 
the clue on how Joffrey got poisoned, you can hear the, the clink of the little poison gem go into the glass. I mean, those little things. But yeah, for me, Mountain the Viper was, I was so excited for that episode. Everybody knew what was coming because of the title of the episode. And, you know, you're hoping like, this is it. Everybody loves the Viper. The Lancers are getting it. And earlier that day, I'm, I'm from Chicago. I'm a big hockey fan. Our, my team had lost in game seven of the Western Conference Finals in a terrible overtime game. So I'm feeling crushed. I'm like, hey, at least I have Game of Thrones to watch, right? And by the end of the Mountain the Viper, and I'm just sitting there after the Viper's head gets squished, I'm like, okay, so nothing good is, can possibly happen for me today. Just no, can't happen. No. Um, okay. Your, your other favorite, there's gotta, we've gotta mention one. Like, how have we not mentioned this yet? Go on. <sighs> well, I'll let you go then. Which one do you think we should have mentioned? Battle Might of the have... Bastards. Ah, crow. Because it's uh, incredible, and obviously it's gotta be up there in the top three of anyone's moments when he, throws off that belt with the, you know, the sword and takes his sword out and says, right, bring it to everybody. You're like, fuck, he's gone. You know, he's gone again. He's already just come back and now he's going to be dead again. And then obviously his own, his own army just comes and crashes into them as well to save him. But what a scene, uh, the whole pile of bodies on top. What a scene, man. What a fucking scene. And just it feels so really, yeah. That one feels that moment you're talking about the bodies. I mean, that's what's so great about, you know, this is a TV show, but is probably better than most movies because it, it is a movie. I mean, that is a movie battle scene when you, you're the suffocating moment. He's being buried and, you know, he could be dead, but he, he, he manages to rise. John rises himself from the, the pile of bodies and eventually, you know, they have that epic, you know, fantasy moment or story moment when the Knights of the Veil vale come in to save the day. But, there's so many moments, and, and plus that episode, people forget that episode starts out in Marine with one of the coolest dragon moments of the entire scene when Drogon comes in, and then there's the battle with the ships where you know all the the slavers think that they've got Daenerys and they've cornered her and she's done, and and she flips the tables on them. That whole that whole episode is crazy, but the Battle of Bastards, yeah, that that, and I think we're gonna see this for the rest of our lives. I mean, you see it on the trailers, that scene where he, he pulls the sword out of the sheath, like you just said, and he's just standing there alone. And then one of the great things that the game of Thrones does in these battle scenes, they feel real because there's this chaos. You know, you remember the scene where John is just looking around for somebody to attack and you see guys just flying everywhere. Guys are getting knocked off horses. It, it, it's chaotic. It's, it's kind of like real. The loot train. To try to make it so real. In every way, the amount of research they did into all of it, you know, it's, it's honestly magnificent. Honestly yeah, I mean, it, magnificent. But, um, it, it yeah. feels realistic in a way you just don't get. I mean, Braveheart is one of those movies you get, but yeah, like in the loot train attack when Bronn is just in this hog of, or fog of fire and the smoke and you're just running around and everything's happening around you. I mean, it, it, it adds such a level of reality and i think that's the difference between game of thrones and when it's at its best it, it has these obviously fantasy and medieval elements and magical moments but it feels so visceral and real that it, it's it's such an intense experience absolutely okay well we've only got time for one more favorite moment there's so many but we're gonna have to skip them maybe we'll bring them up in the preview of the next of season eight but go on one more favorite moment and if you don't one, mention the one that I want, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna sack you from Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, I was gonna say when the wall comes down, because that seems like what we've been waiting for for seven seasons. Is that okay. the one, or do you want to talk about holding the door with Hodor? That's the one. That's Hodor. the one. Let's talk about Hodor. Come then, on, because can... Hodor, right? How, yeah. how can you, how upsetting was that, you know, when you see that? It was, 
all fit together beautifully, directed wise, um, the, his name, the whole thinking behind who, you know, the writing is obviously Art George, you know, Art Martin, the whole thing is just so beautifully done, so cleverly done. And I think they brought it to the screen unbelievably well, you know, and the guy portrayed it beautifully. The whole thing just melted you. Oh, it's crushing. I mean, I, I think you have those moments of true heartbreak. You know, it's funny. You, you live with these characters and these become people that you have an emotional attachment to. And Hodor is, you know, he's this big guy and he's lovable. He's, you know, he's unfortunately he fell on his head and he's, he's simple and he's just Hodor, but he has this big smile and, you know, and he just, he stands by Bran and protects him. And, and then when you learn what happens, it's, it, and that, and one of the other great things about the show is time travel can be difficult. You know, a lot of people hate it because, oh, it's a way out. But it's kind of like the episode, The Constant from Lost, and which is one of the greatest episodes of that show, is you have this amazing storytelling moment and how this cause and effect. And, and you, it's just it's it breaks your heart because you see Bran caused Hodor. But Hodor knew all along that he was going to have to do this and he sacrificed himself anyway. And it's, you know, some of the characters on the show get great endings some of them don't but i mean hodor really gets one of the greatest send-offs i mean he's this tragic heroic figure that sacrifices himself and you know and again you get some of the terror of the white walkers when they get to come into the underneath the tree and and just you see the overhead shot of the swarming of the whites it's yeah it's a beautiful scene i mean it, it plays on every single emotion it's it was one of those that when the show goes to black into the credits you know you just you're just you're numb you can't move you're just watching it and you just wait. But there's so many we haven't mentioned, you know. Um, you mentioned Watchers of the Wall. Ned's ahead off, you know, Bran being pushed out in the first episode. The Red Wedding, the Blackwater, the first battle, you know. Mental. Oh, the, fi- the wildfire. I mean, exactly. how crazy. I mean, that's when. Yeah. I mean, we talked about before that, you know, season one, you didn't get any battles because the show's on a budget. That's when the big element of Game of Thrones started was at Blackwater with the, the wildfire explosion. And then every season since we've gotten the big set. And then we haven't mentioned anything about Marine and the, the Dance of Dragons and when Drogon saves her and, you know, the, all the Walk of Atonement, you know, those kind of the comeuppance of, of, um, you know, Cersei. We haven't mentioned these. These are all favorite moments. Um, but yeah, there's so much, you know, uh, Danny setting the Dothrakis on fire. There's so many moments. It's just impossible to, to kind of just go through all of them. But yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have to end it here. We've done an hour and nearly 15 minutes on this one as well. So, um, basically, dude, a quick one. Which was the best season for you? I'm not going to rank them. It'll take an age. Which was the best one? Best season for me is going to be season four. I think from start to finish with, you know, a great season premiere. Well, you have that great season premiere and you get that. I think it's one of the first episodes with the cut scene, you know, where they melt down the sword and then the two, and then by the end of the episode, that's when Arya kind of starts to become an assassin. You know, there's Mm -hmm. that battle or not a battle, but the fight in the, in the inn with her and the hound and, in Polliver and the Lannister guys. And then the very next episode is the Purple Wedding. So you get that great set piece. And that's the part, you know, that at the wedding and all these characters and all these moments, and then it becomes a murder mystery. But that's what season four gives you. They started doing these half an hour set pieces. Like you get the trial. The trial is brutal. And some of the best acting in the whole show, you get the, um, you get the John going north of the wall to avenge, you know, 
Sir, or, uh, Lord Commander Mormont. That was a great scene when he kills Rask, or that Rask gets killed by ghosts. But that's such a great scene. And then obviously Watchers on the Wall, and it's just it's a movie. It's a movie episode. It, and like I said, I saw it in the big screen. And then the children is such a great finale. And of course, we talked about Mountain the Viper. So I, I don't think I, my my still favorite episode of Winds of Winter. But I think from start to finish, there's not a bad episode anywhere or any moment in season four it's just it's the best season and i'm glad that's the one you got to start with because you you started at the top baby i did i did start in my in my view is it the best run of the show was from um end of season five hard home all the way into end of season six i thought i, I actually think since then it's just been unbelievable you know since hard home because the start of season five was a bit slow but from Hard Home, I think since they picked the pace up, I don't think I've, I think I've enjoyed every single episode and I've just not been disappointed the whole way. You know, even season seven, even when there were build up episodes in there trying to just move to a next point and whatever. But I've, I've found everything from Hard Home onwards is just the pace has picked up and we've really started to get into the fantasy type of thing in the land. And that's where for me it becomes amazing. I love that. I love it when the political stuff's kind of le- being left to the side and we're getting into the dragons and the fucking zombies and shit, <laughs> you know? So that's, for me, where the beauty of the show is coming out now, and that's where I would love to see things like that. That's the geek in me loving that. So from Hard Home onwards, I think it's just been a it's been a brilliant ride, and I love it. And I, I can't disagree with you either, to be honest. Um, the the whole thing, when you go back, back and watch season one, it's a joy. It's a joy to rewatch. The first time round, people think it's slow, but when you know everything and you go watch it, it's a joy because everything fits together perfectly. So, yeah, even when you know what's coming, it's still exciting, which I think really is a testament is. to the show. Even when you know, oh, this scene is coming, and there are scenes for a while I, I couldn't rewatch. I didn't want to rewatch Red Wedding. I didn't want to watch when Shireen gets burned in season five. Just too brutal, too hard to watch. But when you rewatch the show, mm. it. it it's still rewarding and you learn something new every time. So yeah, you don't have some of the suspense the same time around, but God, is it great to watch again? So it, it's, it's a brilliant show. Absolutely. And I think we're going to end, uh, this, uh, got season one to seven rewind. We're going to end it there, but we will be back next week. Won't we, um, Scott with the, with the season eight preview, we need to get a, and move on and make sure we get that in before it starts. So, yeah, we'll do that next week and we'll, we'll definitely fit that into our schedules. And, and I can't wait to preview what's going to be happening in that and put some theories across and really, really try and think about what, what could be coming and, and, um, you know, speculate on things because that's the beauty of this. But I have to say a massive thank you to you for giving me your time to do this rewind. I hope you, the listener, have enjoyed it. And thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me on on the Buzz pod, the first set of Buzz podcasts, and I can't wait to be on more. I'm buzzing, mate. I'm buzzing, and we will be back very, very soon. Look out for us as well, the review of us. That will be out shortly as well. So, yes, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back on Buzz very, very soon.
Social Podcast Network.